And the handout, if you need more, I think I have extra. You handed them out, and you missed yourself. Oh, okay. There you go. All right. And um, it's been a while since we're in Ephesians. Uh, make sure you guys express your gratitude to the teachers who taught you. Who taught you guys past two Sundays? Mr. Chris and Mr. Derek, okay. Uh, have you guys uh, said anything to them? Like anything? Like after they taught you, did you say anything? Yes? What did you guys say? Thank you. What else? Good job. Yeah. Yeah. Five stars. Two thumbs up. Um, make sure you guys talk to your teachers, especially those who come here and, and fill in for me and, and, and sub. Uh, the, greatest, the greatest gift that you guys can give them is to say thank you and to let them know how, how the passage, the message that they gave you, uh, helped you or how it, how it impacted you. And also, if you want to add a third thing there, so you thank them, you tell them how, how it's helped you, and if you want to add a third thing there that would encourage any teacher is that you ask them a question. You tell them, hey, you said this, but, but it wasn't so clear. Hey, you described it this way, but I didn't quite get it. Hey, your outline was like this, but it took me a while to, to write them down. It was too long. So ask them questions. Uh, clarifying questions. So make sure you guys do that for, um, for those who come in here. Um, so it's been a while since we're in Ephesians, so make sure you have your Bibles and op- open to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Who, who came to main service in the past two Sundays? Okay, so half of you. Um, just so you know, for those... Those are half of you. Um, I'm going to be reteaching what you guys already heard from main service the past two Sundays. Okay. Now it's not it's not it's not an excuse to uh, do homework or or do something else because you were in main service the past two Sundays. Uh, but just so you know, I'm reteaching everything, same same things that you guys already heard. Now, if you're wondering, you know, for for those who were there in main service. And for those who weren't, if you're wondering why I'm, gonna, why I'm doing that, okay, you're probably thinking, well, he should just continue. He, he shouldn't reteach uh, the two past messages. Well, if you're wondering why I decided to reteach everything, um, I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, I know that you don't all go to main service. You don't all go to main service, which, you know, as a pastor, saddens me. Uh, because we want you guys to go to your Sunday school class, and we tell the same thing for parents. Uh, we want you to go to your Sunday school class and then go to main service with your parents or, or by yourself if you don't go to main service with your parents. Um, so I know that, that not all of you attend main service, so I thought I would just reteach the same thing because a lot of you haven't heard it. Uh, secondly, second reason, it's good for us to... Um, to learn and relearn important passages like Ephesians 1 because, number one, we're, we're slow learners, and number two, we're forgetful. What did Mr. Chris teach on two Sundays ago? What did uh, Mr. Derek Block teach last Sunday? Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Okay, 
Um, so, and I'm, and I'm with you. I'm, I'm exactly the same. Um, the reason why I know what we've been going through is because I'm teaching it. Uh, the, re- the reason why I know what Pastor Scott's going through is because we've been in Romans 7 for, you know, nine months. So, so I, I think it's good for us to learn and relearn important passages like this one over and over and over again because we're forgetful and we're slow learners. Third reason is that I've, I've really enjoyed Ephesians 1. I've known, I've known it uh, a little bit before. I've read it many times before, but I haven't studied it, studied it the way that I've been studying it. And I've really, really come to love Ephesians 1 so much so much more to learn here. It was actually a challenge for me to, to preach it in two messages for the main service. Uh, I, I, I like this setting of, of slowing it down a little bit and having some interaction. So, so if I can study it twice and teach it twice or more, it's, it's even better. So with that being said, follow as I read Ephesians chapter 1. Make sure you turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have extra over there. Make sure you can... You can follow along, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read the whole thing, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the gospel, uh, to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Okay, before we look at the, path, uh, the pick up where we left off from, two, from two, two, three Sundays ago, let me ask you some questions to kind of see how much you've retained, okay? If, uh, if you have a handout, those fill in the blanks, let's go through them real quick. Number one, again, th- these are just key observations as you've read Ephesians. Hopefully, hopefully you're sticking to the practice of reading Ephesians in one sitting or even mixing it up and reading one chapter multiple times a day. So if you've been... Becoming more familiar with Ephesians 1, especially these verses 3 through 14, um, let's go through these general observations. And, and, and the first one's a little hard because you don't have the Greek, but maybe you, you do remember from three Sundays ago. In the Greek, this is a single sentence, correct? Is it a single sentence? Yes. With how many words? You guys remember? 
202. 202. Try not to look at, I'm not saying that you did that, uh, CJ, but try to see what you retain, what you remember, okay? Uh, second, this whole passage, 3 through 14, mentions Jesus Christ, okay, so uh, talks about his name, Jesus, or Jesus Christ, or refers to him, like in him, from him, for him, in whom, how many times? 13. No, no looking? Wow. 202, 13. Good, good. Um, third, it's all about God receiving what for saving sinners? Yes, Elias. For what? Glory. Glory. Praise. Praise. What's another word? Blessing. Okay, kind of all the same, right? When you, if, you, if you bless God, you're praising Him. And if you're doing that, you're giving Him glory. Okay, so, so praise for saving sinners, right? How many times does he mention that? A bonus, bonus question. Five. Five less, a little less? Four. Okay, show me. Don't just guess numbers, you gotta show me. Okay, it's three, show me where they are. Every time we read it, it you know, it's like a repetitive thing, right? Look at verse 6. What does it say, the beginning of verse 6? To the praise of the glory of His grace. Look at verse 12, the end of verse 12. What does Paul say? There you go, to the praise of His glory. And then where's the third one? 14. Yep, good job. To the praise of His glory. Number 4. Well, where? Yes, if you want to include bless, yep, that's one. Uh, verse 3 is the, like I mentioned three Sundays ago, the umbrella, right, the main statement. Uh, bless God, bless is God. You can take it either way. You can, you can take it as, as a statement, God is blessed, or you can take it as a command, bless God. And then the rest, 4 through 14, talks about the reasons why we should bless Him, so you're right. Yeah, you can, you can start in verse 3, but word for word to the praise of God's glory, you have verse 6, verse 12, and then verse 14. Now, uh, number 4 in your handout. It, in, it involves all of the three members of the, the Trinity or the Godhead, right? Um, you, you see God the Father. He's the one who's electing and choosing, predestining. You have God the Son, right? He's the one who's redeemed us with His blood on the cross. And then you have the Holy Spirit at the end, um, sealing us, securing us. So, again, just very rich, uh, very good passage to be in over and over again. Three Sundays ago, we started looking at six incredible reasons to praise God. Okay, to praise God specifically for our salvation, for saving sinners, for saving sinners, for saving sinners like you and me. Paul is going to show us many, many reasons, six, six of them to be specific, why we should bless him, why we should praise him. And so far, we've looked at the first two, okay? Without looking at your notes from uh, many Sundays ago, the first one is this, God chose you for what? Salvation. Okay, look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So Paul is writing to Christians, 
And his main exhortation, okay, another word for exhortation is command. Uh, his main exhortation, his main command for Christians is that we would bless God, that we would praise Him, that we, that we would make much of Him. Why? Because He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And if you're a Christian, the first spiritual blessing that God has given you is that you are chosen for salvation. We saw this in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Look down. Verse 4. So, verse 3 says, Bless God, praise Him, glorify Him. Why? Verse 4 says, Because God chose us in Him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy before Him. So if you're a Christian, the reason why you became one, okay? If you're a Christian this morning, the reason why you became one, however long ago that, that is for you, last week or last camp or, or five years ago, the reason why you became one, the reason why you wanted to, and the reason why you were able to believe the gospel and repent of your sin and, and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior wasn't because you became smart, wasn't because everything finally clicked for you and you figured it all out and because of your intelligence and because of your Bible knowledge, you just know. It wasn't because of that. The, the only students, okay, the only reason why you got saved, however, however long ago that is, the only reason why you got saved was because God chose to save you. Okay, you can see it this way. The reason why you were able or, or the reason why you wanted to, so if you want to look at the desire and the ability, okay, I want to and I could. Uh, the reason why you were able to and the reason why you, you desired to choose God when you got saved was because he chose you first. That's why. Okay, that's why. And he chose to save you not just before you were born, but before what? Before, yeah, before the foundation of the world, before the world was born. So a long time ago, before you even started existing, God chose to save you. That's why any of us uh, who are in Christ are able to choose him and get saved. Number two, second reason, God adopted you as what? As children, good job. God adopted you as children. This is verses 5 and 6. Look at verse 5. In love, He, that's God, predestined us, Christians, to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Not only did God save you, verses 4, uh, verses three and four say, but he also adopted you. God predestined you to adoption. That means he decided long time ago before the foundation of the world, before you were born, God made the decision, okay, that he would adopt you, that he would take you and include you into his family. That's adoption. That's spiritual adoption, that God would become your heavenly father and that you would become his child, his daughter or his son. Now, why did God do that? Why would he do that? Look at verse 6. Why would he adopt any of us, bring us into his family, call us his children? Verse 6, so that we would give him praise to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in Jesus Christ. So, so those are the two we covered three Sundays ago. I'm, 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 uh, I'm glad that you guys remembered all of them, really even the key observations. So, 
We'll, we'll continue. We'll cover the third one and the fourth one this morning, and then next Sunday we'll do five and six. Okay, so here's the third incredible reason why we should praise God. Number three, God redeemed you. What do you guys think? From, from sin. Okay, God redeemed you from sin. We sang it earlier. That's why the song says, free to live and free to love, right? Because God's redemption. So God redeemed you from sin. Look at verse 7. In Him, so that's in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished on us. What does it mean that God redeemed us? This word redemption means to just think of um, to, to buy back and to free someone. So to, to, to buy someone so that you can free that person. It's, it's used a lot more in the slavery uh, context back in the day. So, so they would buy somebody in order to free that person. So that's that really the word redemption means. So when we, when we apply it to what Paul's talking about, when we apply it spiritually, not just you know physically with, with, with slavery, this means that God has freed us or redeemed us from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? Yes. Hell. Yep. So if you're a Christian, God has redeemed you, has bought you and freed you from the penalty of sin. That means you'll never pay for your sins in hell. Secondly, God's redeemed you, freed you from the power of sin. What do you guys think about that? That if you're a Christian, because of God's redemption, He's bought you and freed you from the power of sin. What, is it, what does that mean? Not just from the penalty of sin, no more hell for you, but also the power of sin. Yes, Spencer. You have the ability to say no to sin. Do we still sin? If you're a Christian, do you still sin? Does that mean that you're enslaved to the power of sin? No, it just means that you choose to sin. In that moment, you're just choosing sin because you love sin more than you love Jesus Christ. That's really what you're doing. When, when the Bible says you actually have the power to say no to sin. So, he's freed us from the penalty of sin, freed us from the power of sin, and then one day in the future, God will finally and completely free us from the what? Of sin. Yes, Isaiah. Presence of sin. Okay, are, are we still surrounded with sin today, even though we're Christians? Yes, people's sins and your sins, right? But part of God's redemption of buying and freeing is also future. We will one day be free, completely redeemed from the presence of sin. Everything will be perfect, even ourselves. What, what was the payment of our redemption, of God's purchasing and buying? Paul says that the payment was the blood of Jesus Christ. This is referring to when Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for our sins. That's the payment. Now, what's the result? Look at the result. In Him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood. What's the result, guys? The forgiving. Of our the forgiving. Yep, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, I hope every time you read your Bible and you come across that very, very common word, forgiveness, I hope you never uh, get used, used to that word um, and skip it and just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven, and then move on. I hope it 
every time you read that word forgiveness because of Jesus Christ's blood um, for you, I hope that it would always humble you and think about all of your sins, okay, past, present, and future, and also your sins that you know you've committed and also the sins that you don't know you committed. And, and take all that and humble yourself and say, wow, this passage is saying that God, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, all of those have been forgiven. I, um, I wanted to find other passages that talk, that talk about forgiveness, specifically what God does uh, with our sins. Um, that's different than the word forgive. There are a lot of passages that says that God forgives our sins, but I wanted other, other passages that talk about what God does with our sins other than that word forgive. And let me read some, some of those to you, okay? Uh, this one is from Psalm 51, verse 2. God's, God has washed our sins away. So it kind of gives uh, what, I, what I call more high def to that, to that word forgiveness that's so common that we just skip, skip over a lot of times. So Psalm 51, verse 2, David says, God has washed our sins away. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Isaiah says, God has cast our sins behind his back. So again, that is forgiveness, but it gives it more picturesque, you know, high def that I can like, man, that's humbling. He has cast my sins behind his back. Jeremiah 31, verse 34. God will remember our sins no more. That is forgiveness, but here specifically God says, I will never, um, I will never bring it back to mind. You know, it doesn't mean that God has spiritual amnesia, like, oh, what happened yesterday? Oh, that's right, I created the world. When was that again? It, 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 it's, not, it's not that God forgets, but here with our sins, He chooses to remember them no more. That's Jeremiah 31, 34. Here's another one, Psalm 32, verse 2. Psalm 32, verse 2 from David. David says, God is not going to count our sins against us. Okay, he's no longer going to count our sins against us. How many times do you count your sibling's sins against you in one day? We do that, right? Especially the same sin, right? We have a, a mental record. You know, we do like tick marks of the sins that people have committed against us, especially those who are close to us. And the more they commit it, the less we forgive. But with God... It says in Psalm 32, verse 2, God will not count our sins against us. He doesn't count it. He doesn't keep records. And he's not going to show it to us at the end and make it go against us. Here's another one, Psalm 103, verse 12. That's a familiar uh, psalm. We even sing it. Psalm 103, verse 12. God has removed our sins as far as the... East is from the West. Again, that's forgiveness language, but gives, gives, gives it more high def. That's humbling. He's removed our sins as far as the East is from the West. Micah 7.19, I like this one. Uh, I added this to my list when I found it. Micah 7.19. God has trampled our sins under His foot, and He picks it up and chucks it into the sea. That's how God treats our sins because of Jesus Christ covering on the cross. He, he takes our sins, tramples them, 
under his foot, and he hurls them into the sea, Micah 7.19. So, next time you read your Bible and you see passages like this, phrases like this, that God has forgiven our trespasses, God has forgiven our sins, that's really what's happened. Past, present, and future sins, sins that you know you committed, and sins that you, know you, did, uh, that you did not know that you committed. So that really helps us, really helps you treat your brothers and sisters, treat your parents, treat other people, your friends, even your enemies when they sin against you. Because God has done all those things to your sins, He's asking that you would do the same for your enemy's sins and for your loved one's sins against you. So there's really no excuse. Uh, I preached this uh, in main service, and uh, somebody came up to me who, uh, who said, hey, you know, you preached on Matthew long, long time ago about, about forgiveness. And then our missionary came, and he preached on that same pa- passage about forgiveness. And then today, you preach on it from Ephesians 1. I'm still struggling, he said. And I didn't, re- I didn't really say much, because he should know, right? He should know. I should know. You should know by now that there's really no room for unforgiveness, and I know what this guy has, guy has gone through. I know what the other person has done to him. But it does not matter in comparison to what we've done to, uh, what we've done against God, against Jesus with all of our sins. And that's how he treats our sins in Jesus Christ. So there's really no room. So he said, we need to meet again. I said, yeah, we'll meet again. And, but guess what? I'll tell you the same thing that I said when we met after the Matthew passage. Um, that you, you need to let it go, you need to forgive, and you need to show grace and love towards that person. You need to do that. There's no excuse. How, how is our redemption, okay, God's purchasing and freeing? How is that and our forgiveness possible? Look at what Paul says. Paul says that it's possible because of the riches of God's grace, which he lavished on us. Again, that word lavish means to be abundant, overflowing. It's kind of like when you, um, when, you have some, when you have your favorite ice cream and you're in charge of you know, uh, giving ice cream to everybody and you look at how much you put in your cup versus how much you put in your sibling's cup. This is the lavish um, way. This is the stingy way. You know, I, um, I get like that too. Uh, I love Nutella. Okay, I first tasted Nutella in the Philippines long, long, long time ago. You know, I mean, peanut butter in the Philippines is like a luxury. You know, when your parents come home with peanut butter, you're like, wow, you know, dad got a promotion or something. When they come home with Nutella, I mean, that's once in a lifetime experience. So first time I tasted Nutella in the Philippines, I'm like, man, I haven't lived. This is so good. And then, uh, and then we, came to the, we came to the U.S., and now, you know, I'm a dad myself, and I love Nutella, so I would buy Nutella, but then, you know, they're a lot more expensive than, than peanut butter, than your normal great value peanut butter. There's no great value uh, Nutella, um, so you got to get the real Nutella. But one day, I happened, to be, I happened to be browsing the web, and I found Nutella on Nellis, an auction place. Okay, and Mr. Chris delivered me my, my order. I mean, I ordered like, I don't know, 14, I think. It was a lot. A lot of Nutella. 
okay? And that was like a year ago, and we still have some. Um, and, uh, you know, I would, you know, fr- Friday, I, I watch the kids because Leslie works, so I have the kids, I take them to PE, so I got to, you know, I'm supposed to feed them, right? So, um, and I prepare everything. My favorite part, the Nutella. For my part, oh, yeah, just lavish Nutella all over both sides of the bread, okay? Have Nutella. For the kids, I tell them, hey, guys, conserve. Conserve the Nutella. Just one side. That's too thick. You know, put them together, rub them, and then put that one on your sibling's bread. No, I don't, I don't do that one. But, but you get the point, okay? When it comes to forgiveness... We have been lavished, above and beyond, abundant, okay, overflowing when it comes to our forgiveness from God. But when we, when we try to forgive other people, we're stingy. You know, we say, oh, I got to conserve my forgiveness. Are oh, you already committed the same sin? So I, I don't know if I should forgive you right now because if you commit it again, then I'm going to have to forgive you again. No, because of God's lavish forgiveness for us, we too should be lavish when it comes to forgiving others. Yes? In your experience or counseling, um, how much of it is someone doesn't want to forgive, or, or is there expectation that they forgive once and, and, and they should, or the absence of, of that uh, feeling should be gone? So they're more distressed because they don't. Being offended, yeah. Wondering why that they still are offended, and, and now they're they're unsure. Why do I keep forgiving if I still have that resentment? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the what you feel does not does not matter when it comes to forgiveness. I'm not saying that your feelings don't matter at all, but when it comes to forgiveness, it does not matter. Uh, God is not asking you to feel good or to get to a certain feeling before you forgive. You just forgive. Now, feeling will come later. People, you know, in my counseling, people call it peace. I'm just not at peace. Um, well, you should be because you're, you have God's peace. He's forgiven your sins, so you're actually at peace. Um, you're calling it not at peace when, you're, when what you really mean is that you, you're, just not, you're just not lavish yet. You're not, so, you're not free yet when you, with your forgiveness. Um, so I try to help them with that part, but, but right, right out of the gate, I want to make sure that they know that they should forgive immediately. Um, now, you know, people say, uh, you can forgive, but you can't forget. I get that. That's fine. I'm okay with that when somebody tells me that. Um, some people say, I can forgive, but reconciliation still has to happen. I get that too. That's true. That's fine. Right? Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you're reconciled uh, because the other person has to stop doing the things that they're doing that, you're for, that you keep on forgiving. So there's no reconciliation yet. But you, your part is to forgive, and you can do that apart from the other person. Um, so I think the emotions, the feelings, I just encourage them and say that will come later. Listen, the less you're lavish with your forgiveness, the less free you are with your forgiveness, guess what? You're going to keep feeling the same way. Um, If you want to be more at peace, more restored, more emotionally whole, 
Um, you just keep forgiving lavishly and freely, and God is going to bless that with emotions that are more free and more uh, healthy. But you're not going to get there if you keep holding, holding off forgiveness. Um, and some people get there quicker, some people don't. I, I understand that, but I just remind them that you got to do what God says and the emotions will, will follow. Right, right. For example, I have a family member. We are not reconciled, okay? That person sinned against us, sinned sin against me. We're not reconciled. But have I forgiven that person? What do you guys think? Yes. Hopefully yes, right? Right? Uh, I have forgiven that person. How about the sins that that person didn't ask for forgiveness? Have I forgiven her for those things? Yes. Yes. But are we reconciled? Do we have that normal, you know, back in the day, you know, loving family uh, relational dynamics? No. No. So I put it this way. You can't reconcile without forgiveness, but you can forgive without reconciliation. But you're right, Chris. Sometimes people kind of muddle the two and... And um, it affects how they they forgive. Yes, it's fine because now I'm back with you guys. I can just keep doing part whatever. Apart from recon- yeah, reconciliation. Okay, yeah, they're still mean to you. Or, like, if they don't even, if they're not there, if you're forgiving even without them asking, you, are you going to just, I forgive you, and you're going to ask for it? Uh, like, it's fine to forgive them without them asking for it, obviously, but, like, they're not even asking for forgiveness, but you're forgiving them. What does that even look like? Here's what it, that looks like, okay? I, I just go back to the two main words that the Bible uses for forgiveness, especially when the Bible commands us to forgive other people. The first, and, and they're always, not always, they're, they're usually translated as forgive, okay? But, but they're two different words. So the first one is to release your right to judge. So when you forgive someone, whether they ask you or not, that's really what you're doing. Okay, you may verb- verbally say I forgive you or not, but deep down you are releasing your right to judge because when you're offended, when you're sinned against, you want to judge that person, right? You want to get even with that person. So if you're forgiving that person, you're releasing your right to judge. You're saying, no more of that. I'm not going to do that. So I call that that put off side of my forgiveness. Here's the second Uh, word group, the second uh, idea of forgiving is that I'm going to be gracious toward that person. Okay, so that's the put on side. Okay, that's really the the, those two words in the New Testament of of to forgive. You're forgiving in a way that you're releasing your right to judge, that's putting off what you think you should do, and you're forgiving by putting on something, by being gracious toward that person. Now, if you're asking, okay, how can I be gracious towards someone who has sinned against me, really hurt me, continues to be mean to me, or someone who does not interact with me anymore. Well, it just depends on your context. 
Um, to be gracious to someone doesn't mean that you keep excusing the same sin that they're committing. That's not gracious. Um, being gracious to someone is to give them grace, something that they do not deserve. That's really what grace is, to give someone what they don't deserve. So you're to be nice to that person, you're to be kind to that person, you should be praying for that person, right? So it's to release my right to judge and to be gracious to that person. So put off, put on. If you can do that in your own context, whether you're asked or not for forgiveness by that person, I think you're being pleasing to the Lord. You are obeying passages like Ephesians 1 and Colossians that says, forgive them just as God has forgiven you in Christ. Okay, just as God has forgiven you in Christ. Well, how did God forgive me in Christ? Well, he's released his right to judge, and he is gracious towards me. If you can do that, then it doesn't matter what the person does. You know, whatever he does, whatever she does, if she continues to be mean to you, cut, cuts off the relationship with you, or continues to offend you, commit the same sin against you, you have no control of that. But you know what you have control of? How you respond. Are you going to forgive or not? Are you going to be lavish or stingy? Okay? That, does that answer the, the question? Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, that means you uh, you don't you don't bring up the offense uh, to other people. That means you don't um, uh, belittle them in front of other people, right? Because if you did that, then you would you you ha still haven't released your right to judge that person. And you're still not being gracious toward that person. So, okay. All because God has forgiven us, Paul says, because of our redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses, uh, which he lavished on us in Jesus Christ. So, now before, uh, before we go to our fourth reason, um, let me read to you the story that I read to the church um, a couple Sundays ago or last Sunday about redemption. Okay, here's a, here's a story from a pastor, Kent Hughes, um, included in his commentary on Ephesians. And I'll read it to you, and I'll ask you a question after I read it. Again, the, it illustrates redemption, okay? Purchasing, buying back so that you would be free. In a city on the shore of a great lake lived a small boy who loved the water and sailing. So deep was his fascination that he, with the help of his father, spent months making a beautiful boat, which he began to sail at the water's edge. One day, a sudden gust of wind caught the tiny boat and carried it far out and out of sight. Distraught, the boy returned home inconsolable. Day after day, he would walk the shores in search of his treasure, but always in vain. But one day, as he was walking through, through town, he saw his beautiful boat. He saw his beautiful boat in a store window, not out in the lake. So he approached the proprietor, the owner of the, the store, and announced his ownership of the boat, only to be told that it was not his. 
for the owner had paid a local fisherman good money for the boat. Now, if the boy wanted the boat, he would have to pay the price. So the boy set himself to work doing anything and everything until finally he returned to the store with the money. And at last, holding his precious boat in his arms. You guys ever lost something and you found it? At last, holding his precious boat in his arms, the boy said with great joy, he said, You are twice mine now because I have made you and I've bought you. And Kent Hughes would comment later on in his commentary that that is exactly the picture, the picture perfect of, uh, of our redemption. God has made you, okay, every single one of you, God has made you. And if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, God also has bought you. And remember, his payment was not, uh, his, his buying, his redemption is not free, right? It costs him his son's death, Jesus Christ's blood. And what's the result? The forgiveness of all of your sins. That's what you have. Any, any questions, guys? We'll end here because I got to go, uh, go Superman and change real fast for... Uh, not in, a not in a phone booth. Well, they don't know phone booths. Uh, you guys do? You do? <laughs> um, so we'll continue next Sunday. Remember, this Wednesday, no, no, student uh, no D groups. Okay? Um, but we will see you guys next Sunday. I'll come to second service for Lucas's baptism. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for reminding us again that we should be praising you. We should be blessing you. We should be uh, doing that in our prayer life, and we should be doing that in our public life, telling everybody how grateful we are, how much we love you because of what you have blessed us with. We, You have chosen us for salvation, you have, um, you have adopted us as, as your children, and what we looked at this morning, how rich, how rich that is, that you have redeemed us from our sins. You have, um, you have done that by, by sending your son Jesus Christ on the cross so that he would be the one to pay for all of our sins, and we can be forgiven. We're forgiven. We, I ask, Father, that the, the number one um, application from, from this spiritual blessing of redemption is that all of us, all of these students would be forgiving. Uh, forgiven people are forgiving people. If we are Christians, we should be forgiving because we've been forgiven. So whatever is hard for them lately, uh, people who have sinned against them, uh, loved ones, friends even, um, and even enemies. Uh, I pray that you would help them by using this passage uh, to forgive those people, to release their right to judge and to be gracious to them. If they do that, when we do that, we're becoming more and more like you because that's how you treat us. That's how you treat us. 
So thank you for this reminder, for this truth. I pray that this was not just a a convicting uh, passage, but also an encouragement to all of us. Uh, Thank you for this special day, baptisms, and being back in Ephesians, being back with the students. Thank you for, for this time with them. In Jesus' name, amen.